The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to kind of pick up where we, we left off last week a little bit. It says this in verse 16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is, say this next word with me, useful. Say it again, useful. All scripture is useful. You know, when, when God designed this book for us, he didn't design it just so it could be a book that we'd open up about once a week and have kind of a kumbaya moment with and, and then kind of go about the rest of our life and that it's just kind of something that we, we have that kind of points us to God. No, he wants it to be useful. He wants us to, to find things through his word that are useful for us in our life that will help us with our marriages, that will help us with our relationships, that will help us with friendships, that will help us in our jobs, in your schoolwork, wherever you may be today. God has useful information for you in this, in this book. Look at verse 17, it goes on to say, God uses it, so God uses his word to prepare and equip his people to do everything good. Now, I believe that God has good works in store for me and you today. How many of you agree with me on that? God has some things he wants to do in your life. There's some things, some places he wants to take you to, some people that he wants you to reach, some people that God wants to use you to minister to. And what God wants to do is through his word, he wants to impact you with his word so that you can impact the world around you. But in order for us to do that, we have to get into the Word of God. We've got to see what the Word of God has to say about our life and about our, our world. And so that's why we've been in this series. It is written, is about what the Word of God has to say. So we started this series off talking about how the Word of God is powerful. And it's not just a book of information, it's not just a book of do's and don'ts, but it's actually a book that's full of the power of God. And God wants us to, to read it and learn it and meditate on it and study it and speak it so that we have God's power to produce life in our life. Uh, if you were here last week, we talked about how the, the Word of God is the breath of God, and that God wants us to breathe in the breath of God, because just like when we breathe in oxygen, it gives us energy, and it gives us power, and it helps to, to get our blood pumping, and, and helps our brain work the way it's supposed to. In the same way, God's Word wants to breathe spiritual energy into you, wants to give you the strength you need, wants to give you the wisdom you need, and then also God wants us to then take that breath and breathe it out on the world around us, so that we can breathe His life into the world around us. Now, that's all great, right? That's all well and good if you believe that this is the Word of God. But what if you don't? What, 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 if, what if you don't believe? What if you're not sure if this really is the Word of God? You know, we, we live in a world today where, where people are questioning this book like, like never before, questioning whether it really is truly the Word of God. They'll, they'll say things like, well, it's a, it's a good book. It's got a lot of good information in it. But it's not really the, like the word of God. It's not a perfect book. The stories in it aren't actually, aren't actually true. And, and my question to you is, what do we do with that? What do we do when, when people in our life that, you know, we say we, we, li- we believe that this is the word of God. I think many of you believe that. But, but what about when somebody else says, well, how do you know? Can you give an answer? Can, like a real answer beyond just, well, I just believe it. Can you really give an answer? The Bible says that we should be able to give an answer. In fact, it says this in 1 Peter 3.15. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, it's talking about your faith in, in God, your faith in Jesus Christ, always be ready to explain it. 
That's the word of God right there. Always be ready. My question to you today is, are you ready to explain it? If someone came to you and they said, can, can you prove that it's true? Could you do it? If your kids came to you and said, Dad, I, I don't get it. Show this to me. Somebody at your work wants to know, can, can, you, can you really do it? Can you show them? I believe that we should be able to show them. And so my goal for today is to help you with that, is to help you to, to kind of point you to some things that we see uh, in the Word, but beyond that, that help point to the fact that this truly is the Word of God. And it is a perfect book, and we can base our life in it. See, here's what we're trying to do. We're telling people that they, you should live your life based on what this book says, right? We're basically, we're telling people, bet your life on this ancient book that's thousands of years old. We need to be able to, to prove or at least point them to it being good beyond just, well, I just believe it, right? So that's what we want to look at today. In fact, today's message is going to be a little different than what I normally do at New Song. Uh, this would be considered an apologetics message. Now, for those of you who don't know what apologetics is, I'm not apologizing for the things of God, okay? That's not what this is about. This is actually about uh, arguing and defending the faith. In fact, apologetics means this. Look up here on the screen. It means the religious discipline of defending or attempting to prove the truth of religious doctrines through systematic argumentation and discourse. So what I want to do today is I want to show you some things that will help you to truly see that this is the Word of God and make a case for this being truly the perfect book, the perfect will, the perfect Word of God that it is. It's going to be really good. Now, maybe you're interested in this and you want to take this a little bit further. I want to give you a couple of resources this morning. This message is a lot of, a lot of study this week, a lot of putting things together that I've done. And I want to give you a couple of resources that you can look to yourself that I think will help you with, the, with this. One is a book by a guy named Josh McDowell. Uh, it's, uh, we have it here. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And what happened is, it's a really interesting story. This guy, Josh McDowell, in the early 70s, uh, he had a group of friends. He was an atheist, and he had a group of friends that were Christians. And he wanted to, to show his friends that they were morons for believing that God was real and that the Bible was truth. So he went on this journey to prove uh, that it wasn't true. And he was going to write a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict that was basically proving that God did not exist. Well, in the course of a year of study and research and traveling all over the world, going to libraries in different countries and all sorts of stuff, uh, he realized that actually, no, it is true and it is real. And, and his book ended up becoming a book that's about defending the faith. And it's one of the great apologetics books of our day. I, I'd encourage you to check this book out if you're interested in taking this a little bit further. It is a pretty intense read, okay? But there's some great stuff in it that will help you out. Another great resource is uh, Ravi Zacharias. You may have heard of him before. But he, uh, he's got a website, rzim.org, that you can go to where he's got videos and all sorts of stuff. That's really great for you. But so today, based on a lot of study, a lot of research, I want to give you a message that defends our faith. It's called Seven Reasons Why the Bible Can Be Trusted. Seven Reasons Why We Can Trust in the Word of God. So get your notes out and get ready to take some notes, all right? Here's the first reason. Reason number one, why the Bible is trustworthy. It is historically accurate. It is, it is, it is historically accurate. Accurate. Now, now this kind of flies in the face of the, of the argument that says, well, it's a great book, but, but it, it, it can't be true. Because history uh, is showing and proving over and over again that what the Bible says is true. And where, what it says was going on was actually going on a, at the time. It's, it, the Bible's not just a book of, of great principles. It's actually historically accurate. 
And understand this, the Bible claims that it is true. It claims that. Uh, here's just one verse on that. Psalms 33 verse 4 says, For the word of God, for the word of the Lord is right and true. That's talking about the word of God. What he says, it's right and true. So the Bible claims that it's true. It, it claims that it's truth. You say, well, well, Josh, how do you know? Well, okay, so let's look at this from a historical perspective, all right? And historically, how you kind of prove if something is really true, there's three major tests that, that something has to go through in order to be proven as being historically accurate. The first test is this. Uh, there have to be eyewitness accounts. It can't just be hearsay, right? Like it can't be, well, you know, my, my cousin <laughs> had a friend, and he jumped off the Empire State Building and flew, right? So I'm going to write it down and say that it really happened because, no, 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 that's not, that ain't how, that ain't going to fly, right? There has to be eyewitness accounts. Now, what's interesting about the Bible is most of the accounts of Scripture are taken from eyewitness accounts. Like the Gospels were written by guys that were there, guys that saw these things. And you may say, well, well how come sometimes the Gospels, you know, the, the stories seem a little bit different? Well, it's like two people seeing a car wreck, right? You see it from different angles. You see it in different ways, and they bring out different things in it. But, but what's amazing is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, those guys weren't sitting in a room together going, hey, what'd you get for chapter four? Like, that wasn't how it happened. <laughs> they wrote those books at different times, years apart. They didn't, they didn't collaborate with each other at all, and yet they don't contradict him, themselves at all. The Bible all flows together perfectly from the beginning all the way to the end. And so from, from that perspective, from the eyewitness account, we can historically say that the Bible is historically accurate. Here's the second one. It was recorded and copied with extreme care. When the Bible was first written, it was recorded and, and more importantly, it was copied with extreme care. It's amazing when you begin to study how the Bible was copied through the years, the painstaking work it, that went into making sure that it was copied the right way. The Jewish scribes that, put the, that, that would copy scripture, they didn't copy it word for word. They copied it letter for letter. Okay, so like in the, in the first five books of the Bible, what they would do is they would, they would know what the middle letter of the book was. So a scribe would bring, bring a copied version that he had, he had made. He would bring it to them. The scribes would all look at it. They would find the middle letter and then they would count in both directions. And if the numbers didn't add up, it, they didn't try to fix it or try to find where it went wrong. They simply threw it out completely. What took months of someone copying and putting together, they would just completely throw away. That's how intense they were about making sure it was copied perfectly. So this argument that we say, like, well, you know, the Bible, it's a good book, but it can't still be, it's, it's not the same as it once was. No, it really is true. In fact, uh, when they found, uh, in the 1940s, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they compared the, the, what the Bible said there to some of the original text, it, it matched up to the letter, to the letter. So what we're reading is the same thing that's, it's, it's the same thing. This is, this is truly what it's been from the beginning. It was copied uh, with, with extreme care. So here's the third thing. It's, it's archa, archaeologically, we have archaeological confirmation. This is where Indiana Jones gets involved in the whole Bible thing. What that means is, is they have to be able to, to have dug up and found things that prove it to be true. And this is still happening to this day. They're finding, they're digging up things in areas where the Bible, you know, took place and finding things that continue to prove that the Bible is true. In fact, for a long time, uh, there's an empire that the Bible talks about called the Hittite Empire. 
And that empire, no one had ever found any evidence that it actually exists. And it used to be something that people would point to and say, see, the Bible can't be true because that empire never existed. Until the 1900s, when a couple of guys were digging and they found all this stuff that pointed to the existence of the Hittite empire, which no one would have even known that it had ever existed if not for the Bible. What I'm showing you here is the Bible, we can, from a historical perspective, we can trust in the Word of God. Now, that's great. Now, let's talk, about, let's talk about science, right? Because it's funny. Science is always trying to prove the Bible to be wrong. But what's interesting is the Bible has been ahead of science for a long, long time. In fact, the Bible goes against the science of the day that was being taught at the time in many cases and, and what we're still discovering today is proving that what the Bible knew thousands of years before, we're just still now learning. Uh, let me give you a couple of case in points, okay? For years, people believed that the earth was held up by something. Uh, the, the Greek people believed it was held up by a guy named Atlas, that there was like a dude under the earth. I've got a picture here. And you've probably seen this image before somewhere. They, they believed this is what was going on with the earth, that there was a, there was a dude under there who was holding up the earth. That was... That was the science of the day, okay? Uh, the Hindu people believe, this is pretty awesome, they believe that there was two elephants, or three elephants, or four maybe, I don't know, that were sitting on top of a sea turtle, that were sitting on top of a snake that made up the universe that existed. Get you some of that, right? <laughs> this, is what people, this is what people believed. Uh, the, the, the Egyptian people, you remember the Egyptian people? Like the Egyptian people did some pretty incredible stuff, right? They built the pyramids. We look at that to this day and think, how in the world did they do that? So there, there were some genius people there. But the, the Egyptian people believed that the earth was held up by five pillars. So it was, it was the common, everyone believed at that time, most people believed that the earth was held up by something. Now what's interesting too about the Egyptians is you remember Moses, right? Moses is the guy that freed the, the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. But you remember before that, if you saw the Ten Commandments or read your Bible, remember he was put in the water as a little baby, floated down the Nile, and what happened? He ended up being a part of an Egyptian family. He was the grandson, actually, of the Pharaoh. He was raised in Egyptian customs. He was raised in Egyptian culture. Now, typically, I think we'd all agree that however we're raised, it affects our life. And we can't help but for it to just come out of us, Right? Like people say stuff like this, well, that's just not the way I was raised. Like the way you were raised is a big deal. And, and Moses was raised in an Egyptian home. He was raised in the Pharaoh's home. And Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And you know that there is not an ounce of Egyptian culture in those first five books. How is that possible that none of that bled into it? I'll tell you how it's possible. Moses didn't write it. <laughs> He may have wrote it in a sense that he transcribed what God was telling him to write, but God is the one who wrote Scripture. Okay, so we're talking about the earth was being held up by something. Well, here's what the Word of God says about this. Let's see here. Sorry, I lost my spot here. Here we go. Job 26, verse 7. Job, the oldest book in the Bible, says this. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends earth over nothing. That wasn't what people believed at the time, but that's what the Bible says. How did, how did Job know that? Well, maybe it's because Job didn't write that down. Maybe God wrote that down. That's how Job knowed, all right? So, so here's what we see. That science, God was way ahead of science here. Um, at, at the time of the Bible, people believed that you could count the stars. 
there was a couple dudes in, in year, uh, Hipparchus in AD 125, went outside one day, counted all the stars, and this was a great scientist of the day, and he said there was uh, 1,022 stars in the sky, 1,022. <laughs> yeah. Five years later, another guy named Ptolemy came along and said, no, 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 he's way off. There's actually four more. There's 1,026. About 1,400 years later, Galileo comes along and says, no, you cannot count the stars. And that became, you know, what we know to be true to this day. And we know this to be true. Like, you can't count the stars. We're still discovering planets and things all the time. But if, if, if these guys would just looked at, at the Bible, 2,600 years before, in Jeremiah 32, verse 22, it says, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. People for years believed that the moon was luminous meaning that the, the moon put off its own light. This was, this was believed for a long time, thousands of years. But Job 25, verse 5, first book of the Bible ever written, the oldest book in the Bible says, the moon, it shines not. Uh, people for years believed that the, the sun, or that the moon was bigger than the sun. Because you know, you look up in the sky, don't look at the sun, by the way, but it, 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 looks, it looks bigger. And so people believe that to be true. You go to the first book of the Bible, in the beginning, Genesis 1.16, God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Let's look at medical science. You guys having fun? Yeah. I'm building a case here for you, okay? Let's look at medical science, all right? For years, medical science, thousands of years, people, they believed that, that if you were sick, that a problem was with your blood and that you needed to get rid of some of that bad blood. It was called bloodletting. And they would cut you open and bleed you. This was a way that they would try to, to fix you. And listen, our first president, George Washington, died of bloodletting. So this was going on up to that point. He was sick. They cut him open to bleed him out. And he died of this. Because they thought that, that, that blood was bad. It was, it was going to hurt you. Uh, we know today that, that actually that blood gives us life. That's why we do things like blood transfusions and we understand that life is in the blood. Well, the Bible says in Leviticus 17 verse 11, the life is the, of the body is in the blood. 3,462 years ago, the Bible knew that. Long before science did. Remember the Black Plague? You guys remember that? Learned about it in junior high, high school. The Black Plague, which took place, killed 40% of Europe because of disease and people had no concept of contagion or sterilization or anything like that and and it could have not it, if they would have understood this it would have done far less damage because they didn't understand it 40 percent of europe died and this was still going on people still didn't have a concept of this 150 years ago you know during the civil war one of the major causes of death was not the injuries that people received it was the medical assistance that people received from the injuries they received because what would happen is somebody would come in and they'd have like a, a bullet wound in their leg and they'd lay him down on the table and the guy would say, oh, that leg's done for. And they'd pull out a saw and they'd lop his leg off. Another guy would come in and he'd have a shotgun you know, wound or whatever in his hand and they'd say, oh, that, that hand is, is done for. Pick up the same saw, no cleaning it, and saw that guy's arm off. And this goes on for days and weeks. They didn't clean their utensils. They didn't. And so people are getting infections and dying like crazy from the medical because they have no concept of sterilization or any of this stuff. But listen, the Bible in Leviticus talks about uh, sterilization and quarantining the sick and, and contagion. It talks all about this stuff. The Bible knew about it long before science did. How did the Bible know? Well, it's because it wasn't written by man. It was written by God. And you know, science is changing all the time, right? Like, you know that. 
Like science is evolving. Science is, is catching up. You don't believe me? Go, go read from your third grade science book sometime. Oh, that's right, you can't because it doesn't exist anymore. It's gone out of print because they found things since then that prove it to be wrong. But the Bible remains. Why? Because it's truth. Because it's God's word. It says this in Psalms 20, 12 or 6. The words of the Lord are flawless like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. The Bible is, is flawless. It's perfect. It knows because it's God's word. It's a perfect book. So the Bible is scientifically accurate, and that's the reason why you can trust it. Here's the third reason. It's prophetically accurate. Prophetically accurate. Now, this is where it gets super risky, guys. Because if this is just a book written by men or by people, it makes some claims of things that were going to happen in the future that if we look at it, and if any of those things are, are proven to be wrong or not right or can't be proven, then you can throw this whole thing out. And yet the Bible is full of prophecies. It's, it's full of predictions about the future. There's over a thousand prophecies in Scripture. There's 300 prophecies about Jesus alone. 300. They, they took place over 1,100 years. The last prophecy about Jesus before he came took place 400 years before he was born, saying something that would happen to him. That's, guys, that's like somebody saying something that was going to happen today when the Mayflower came over. Like that's, that's the kind of, it, I mean, it was thousands of years that these prophecies came out. And, and listen, Jesus fulfilled all 300 prophecies. And, and it's not like the prophecies were like, he's going to be awesome. Like that was a, <laughs> there's no prophecies like, like they were legit, like specific things that he was going to do. You know, David, right? David and Goliath, he wrote, he prophesied about Jesus, about the crucifixion before crucifixion existed. Like he talked about crucifixion before it was a thing. It didn't come along for hundreds and hundreds of years. And he spoke of how Jesus, the Messiah would die in this art of crucifixion. How do, you, how do you explain that? It's unbelievable. This is pretty cool. There was a guy named Peter Stoner that did a report, uh, this, this kind of scientific study a few, a few years back. It was in, actually in the 1950s. And he did probability and, uh, and analytics. Yeah, sorry. Probability analytics. And what he did was he took 600 other scientists with him and they started looking at the probability of Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies. So probability is, is like this. If I had a bucket up here with me this morning that was full of tennis balls, let's say it had 10 tennis balls in it, and I had one tennis ball and I put a big red dot on it, okay? And I put that in there and then I brought you up here and I blindfolded you and you reached inside of that bucket. What are the odds that you're gonna pull out to that tennis ball? It is one in 10, that's, that's probability. So these guys did probability analysis to kind of determine uh, what the odds were of, of Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies. So they took, they, they took eight of them. And you, you can find all this. Peter Stoner, you can find this online. They took eight of these prophecies and determined that for Jesus to fulfill these prophecies, it was this. It was one in 10 to the 17th power. Or, you can look at it this way, it's one with 17 zeros behind it. Or, it's this number, 100 quadrillion. <laughs> That's, that's him fulfilling eight, okay? Now, we, we see that, and that's, that's all well and good, but that really doesn't mean a lot to us. So, and these guys knew that too, so they wanted to take it a step further and kind of determine like, what this really looks like. So here's what they came up with. Uh, if you took 
that number, 100 quadrillion silver dollars, and you put them on the ground and started covering the earth with them, they would completely fill up the entire state of Texas. Yes, I was born there. The whole state. Listen, guys, that's a 13-hour drive from one end to the other. It's a big state. But they wouldn't, just, they wouldn't just cover it. They would cover it and be two feet deep. That's how big that number is, okay? So take that, and then we take one of those, and we put a red dot in it. And we throw it somewhere in the midst of all of those. And I blindfold you, and I say, hey, go pick up that one. The odds of you picking that up are 1 in 10 to the 17th power, or 1 in 100 quadrillion. That's fulfilling 8. And he did 300. How is that possible? You guys, isn't this cool? Isn't the Bible awesome? But it just shows you that this, this is not just a book. This is, this is God's word and it's powerful. How is that possible? Well, here's what 2 Peter 1 verse 20 says this. No prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. In other words, it didn't come from what people knew or they thought themselves or from human initiative. It didn't come from their plans. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. In other words, here's what happened. God's saying when the people wrote the scripture, they didn't write what they thought. They wrote what I told them to write. So the Bible is full of God's word. This is the word of God. It's truth, okay? So it's prophetically accurate. Here, here's number four. It is thematically unified. Thematically unified, okay? So look at this. The Bible is 66 books written by 40 different authors over 16 hundred years in three different languages on three different continents and yet thematically it flows together perfectly like, how is that possible there, there's other books that have been written by other religions like the book of mormon that contradicts itself like crazy that was written by one dude this was written by by 40 different authors over 1,600 years. You know how much changes in 1,600 years? A lot. And yet it's, it's thematically accurate. It's thematically perfect. How is, that, how is that possible? Well, Jesus said this in Luke 24, verse 27. He, he took, after he ra was raised from the dead, he took some people aside and he showed them this. He said, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, the Old Testament, explaining from the, old, from the scriptures the things, look at this, concerning himself. Here's why it's thematically unified, because it's telling one big story about one Savior that was going to come. See, Jesus is all through the Bible. In fact, there's you something to study. You're looking for something to study? Find Jesus. He's in every book. He's there in every book. In some way or another, there's types and shadows and things that point to Jesus all throughout the book, because it is a book of God sending his son to die on the cross to pay the price to save us from our sins. That's the story of Jesus. And that's the story of the Bible. And it's all there. So the Bible is thematically unified. Here's number five. It, is tr it was trusted by Jesus. How come, why, why should we trust the Bible? One of the reasons we should trust the Bible is because Jesus trusted the Bible. Jesus was always quoting scripture. He was saying things like, it is written, the, the, the title of this, of this series. In fact, some people did some research and they found this. In the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they contain 3,779 verses of those, 1,934 came from the lips of Jesus. 
out of the ni- out of the 1934, 180 are quotations of scripture. So here's what that means: roughly one out of every ten times Jesus spoke, he was quoting scripture. So I think Jesus trusted the word of God, right? And, and he endorsed the word of God. I mean, he, he spoke to the stories from the Old Testament being true. He, 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 uh, he endorsed the story of Adam and Eve, of Sodom and Gomorrah. He endorsed the story of Noah and the flood, of, of, of Moses and the burning bush, of Elijah, of David, of Solomon. He endorsed the story of Jonah being swallowed by the great fish. In fact, that's, that's a story he used to explain how he would be resurrected in the same way that, that Jonah came out of the whale, he would come out of the tomb. Jesus endorsed the, the Bible as being true. So if you trust Jesus, you trust his word. Jesus said this about the Bible, Matthew five eighteen. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. That's talking about God's word. Until everything is accomplished. Here's what Jesus is saying. Everything in this book is true. Everything in here you can bet your life on. Everything. Here's number six. It has survived. It has survived. One of the reasons you can trust in the word of God as being that is it has survived. You know, there's, there's pieces of text and pieces of literature that we don't know about because they didn't make it, but the Bible's made it. And I would argue that the Bible's been under more attack than any other piece of literature in, in human history. I mean, think about all the, the, the times it's been banned. It's the most despised, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, and destroyed book of all time. Millions of people, millions of people have died holding this book in their hand, not willing to give up on what it says. I mean, it's been, through the years, it's been tried to be destroyed over and over again, and yet it, it, it has survived. And, and it hasn't survived, actually, it's thrived. It, it's the most read book in the world. It's the most published book in the world. It's the most uh, accomplished book of the world, world and, and it's continuing to change people's lives. And listen, that is why it's under such an attack. Because Satan knows what this can do in your life. He knows the power that this book can bring to your life if you'll just simply open it up and read and get into it. And so he's done everything he can. In fact, if you, you think back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the first attack that Satan ever had was to get them to question the word of God. He said, has God surely said? And from the very beginning to this day, he continues to put that question in front of people and get them to question the validity of scripture. But we can trust in the word of God. And one of my questions for you this morning is, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in the wisdom of this world? Or are you trusting in the word of God? Psalms 118 verse eight says this, it's better to trust in the Lord It's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. Now, something really interesting about that verse right there. Psalms 117 in the Bible is the shortest book in the Bible. Psalms 119 is the longest book in the Bible. Wedged in between them is the middle book of the Bible, which is Psalms 118. Before Psalms 118, there are 594 chapters. After Psalms 118, there are 594 chapters. You take those two numbers, you add them together, and you get the number 1188. The middle verse of the Bible in Psalms 118 is verse 8, or in other words, 1188, which says, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. 
How many of you think this might be the word of God this morning? It's, it's unreal. And guys, I'm just sharing with you a little bit of this stuff. It's, it's God's word. And here's number seven, and this is my favorite point. It, uh, it has transforming power. The word of God has transforming power. John 8 verse 31 says this. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings. Now, what if, what, okay, what if we did that? Like, what if that's what we really did? What if this year, you know, we're in the series that is written, and we said at the beginning of the series, this could be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. We said that this could be the best year of your life if it's the best year in the word of God that you've ever had in your life. And what if we did that? What if, what if we did what this says? What if we really held on to God's word? What if we made it the thing that we're putting all our confidence in, all our trust in, we're coming under its authority and living based by it? What if we really did that? Well, well here's what would happen. We would become disciples. It says, you are really my disciples. And you know that's what God's looking for? God's not looking for churchgoers. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for people that are all in. And here's why, because if we'll do that, what it goes on to say is this, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It will transform your life. The life of God from his word and through having a relationship with him, knowing him, walking in communion with the Holy Spirit and living your life empowered by God, it'll, it'll change everything. It'll, it'll revive your relationships. It'll, it'll heal your marriage. It'll fix your money. It'll upgrade your job. It'll change your kids. It'll transform your life. It'll set you free. If you know the truth, the Bible can be trusted. And because we can trust the word of God, we can trust what the word of God says about the son of God. And that is that Jesus is the son of God and he is God. And he came and he died on the cross for your sins. You know, I I said earlier about the 300 prophecies that Jesus was was able to fulfill. I want to read you as we kind of close out this service today. I want to read you just a few of these with, because I want to point you to this idea that the Bible is truth and that Jesus is God's son. He is God. He wasn't just a man who lived. He really did live as a man, but he was the son of God and he came to this earth and did amazing things. Now, so here's the thing. If, God, if Jesus was not the son of God, how do you, how do you explain these things? How did Jesus do this? How did he arrange to be born into a specific family? How do you, you can't arrange that. You're born into the family you're born into. How did he arrange to be born in a specific city in which his parents didn't live? How did he arrange his own death and and specifically by crucifixion with two others? How did he arrange to have his executioners gamble for his clothing? How did he arrange to be betrayed in advance and be crucified on the exact day the Jews sacrificed a spotless lamb for their sins? How did he arrange to have the executioners carry out the regular regular practice of breaking the legs of the two victims on each side, but not his? How did he arrange to come back to life on the exact day he said he would? I'll tell you how. He was God and is God. And he came and he did all all of that and this book is his story and this is a story about how he loves you and wants you and made a way for you it's the greatest story ever told and it's true and it's real and it exists for you and you can be a part of it 
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? 66 books, over 1,600 years, 40 different writers. And what's amazing is it's consistent with history, it's congruent with truth, and it converges in one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna tell you something else that Jesus arranged. I believe Jesus arranged you to be here today to hear this. He wants you to be here. Maybe there's some of you in here and you don't know God. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you would, you would say that you, you don't really know where you stand with God. You, you feel far from God. And, and maybe part of it for you is you've been kind of afraid to kind of give your life over to Jesus because you're kind of afraid of what that would look like. But the good news for, for me and you today is if he can arrange this book to be as perfect as it is, if he can arrange all of the things that we see through the scripture and through Jesus, listen, he can arrange your life and it'll be the best life you've ever had. I'm telling you, it's the best life you've ever had. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you've, you know you, you know of Jesus, but you've, you've been kind of, you know you're not where you should be with God. Maybe you've been living with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and you know it's time to go all in. It's time to really, to, to really go for it, to go all in with God. If that's you today, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love for you to be able to leave today knowing that you're right with God, that you're right where you should be. So if that's you, uh, I'm actually gonna invite everybody to pray this prayer with me right now. We're all gonna say this together. And if this is you and you're praying this for the first time, I just want you to believe these words with your heart. And the and, and Bible says that you'll be saved. Say this when they say, Dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I acknowledge that I have sinned. And I come to you right now asking for your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe you are the Son of God and that you rose from the dead. In our life today, I open the door of my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. I give you control of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.